It's Monday, September 27th, and we have Bo Kato of Alewife. We're judging chili, and Scott has something he wants to bring up. Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Hello and welcome to Eat It, Virginia, voted Richmond's second best podcast Again, my name is Scott Wise, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, my friend, Roby Martin. Roby, you set me up this this podcast. You set me up, and I kind of liked it. Did I set you up with your man crush? I feel like I feel like I'm like maybe the best matchmaker there is when it comes to people and chefs. You definitely hit a home run this week. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about. Roby told me we have a surprise guest on this podcast. And I, so I really had no idea who was popping on. Could have been my kindergarten teacher. That would have been fun. Could have been a friend from camp. Also fun. It was neither. It was it was Bocato from Alewife, who, if you've listened to the podcast in the past, you know that he and I have a off-podcast relationship where we go do fun things. So we, we, go to, we do talk about that a little bit on this episode. It's like the bromance of bromances. It's exactly. very nice. It's a bromance. Plus, we talked about, you know, his award-winning food and his, you know, award-winning restaurant, all, all the good things and how we got to Richmond. I, I want to bring up something with you before we get to Bo, uh, Roby. Okay. Can you remind the listeners the story you told over the summer about your hot yoga class and the, and the fake Scott? The Scott Wise who came to do hot yoga that wasn't the, you, Scott Wise. Um, hot yoga, I do re- relatively regularly at Humble Haven Yoga. So, it, And I'm not being paid to say that, but I think it's the best. Um, I was there going into a hot yoga class and the, one of the teachers, Andrea, was like, Scott Wise was here. So I waited till he finished class. And then I said, hey, you know, Roby. And the guy was like, mm, I don't know who you're talking about. So that is my Scott Wise story from my yoga class. We have another sighting. Of this Scott Wise? I don't know if it's of this Scott Wise, but of a wow. Scott Wise. So I'm at work on Friday. Actually, I'm working from home on Friday. Will the real Scott Wise please stand up? And I get an, I check my, my Gmail account and... I have an email from Sugar Shack with a receipt of like, let's see, what did I order? That wasn't me. Um, donuts. <laughs> Shocking. I ordered donuts from Sugar Shack. <laughs> and, uh, I'm at, my shock face. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. You so didn't get a I'm hot like, dog? <laughs> I'm like, what? what? I, I didn't go to Sugar Shack. What's going on here? So like, I call Sugar Shack and I'm like, I didn't, I didn't order from you guys. And lo and behold, Scott Wise ordered donuts from sugar shack and for some reason gave them my email address when they asked for the receipt so i didn't i don't think i paid for it i know i didn't pay for it because the credit card on the receipt wasn't mine but i'm getting this scott wise come on man why why are you giving him my gmail do you, is it just like a scott.wise at gmail? So maybe somebody at um, sure give it to wrong. everybody. Why don't you? I don't know what it is. Like actually, is that what it is? <laughs> it's no, sort of. It's my name. My, my middle name but is involved. It doesn't matter what it is. Oh, it is. So he would have had to, this phantom Scott Wise would have to have given your middle name to them? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, this gets but creepier and creepier. I have this Scott Wise's phone number on the receipt. So oh, he pops up again. Him? We should maybe on the next podcast. Can we? Yeah, I think we should call the unless the Scott Wise comes forward. Scott Wise, come forward. <laughs> We'd like to talk to you about what you like to snack on. Uh, that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. I want to snack on seafood over at Alewife. What do you say? Yeah, do you think Bo knows this Scott Wise? 
Maybe, maybe he wants to be your friends with this one. Bo knows all. I will say, this is kind of in kind of full circle for you specifically. Um, but I'm going to call this your chef man crush. Oh, no. Okay. Well, actually, I need to talk about this because you really are very strategically awesome in your food chef crushes. Okay. For example, you have... You really are crushing on Rabia. And I mean, I think she just won a Food Network something or other. So that's that's pretty spot on, Scott. I roll with the winners. What can I say? Yeah, I was just going to say, you also have like a small but mighty crush on Kaya. And she just won a Food Network competition. Another winner. Another winner. <laughs> yes. So I feel like he dovetails right into this you are so good at your crushes so our mystery guest has just entered the waiting room and you've already hinted to me that it's a it's a male shall yes. i let him in you should let him in all right i'm hitting the admit button who is our mystery guest i see a name <laughs> connecting to audio who could this person be who is this person and do you know this person? Let's see. This is like the. I can't wait to see who it is. Unveil yourself, mystery guest. How do I? Okay. So let's see. He's good in the kitchen, but bad with the computer, apparently. Oh! The man, the myth, the legend, the sexy beast himself. Chef Bobo. How is everyone? For you, Scott? <laughs> I'm blushing. This is this is too much so early in the morning. So I just was expressing to him though that he has really great chef crushes. So Rubia Kamara being one of them, Food Network okay. star. Um, Kaya being another one of them, Food Network star. And then you being one of our most talented chefs in Richmond, his third crush. So we're talking about Scott's man crush right now, which is currently with us on the podcast, Bobo Cattell of Alewife, the chef de cuisine of Alewife. I'm so stoked. I'm so stoked. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Thank you all for having me. How you doing, Bo? I'm doing good. I'm good. Are you are you going to be on a Food Network show anytime soon that I, that I should know about? It's highly doubtful. I'm chasing all the winners here. <laughs> I would say it's doubtful for me. Oh, you got a face for podcasts at least. Yeah, it's I'm face for radio. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that I would actually I would avidly watch you on a Food Network show, Bo. Like, I mean, record it. TiVo that bitch up and maybe rewind for some of your amazing one-liners. It would take me six seconds to be in trouble on one of those things. <laughs> I would instantly in trouble. I'm going to be on my best behavior today. No, no, no. <laughs> Don't do that. That doesn't make for a very fun podcast. So let's dive into this. Oh, I'm ready, Who are Scott. You, Who are you, Bo, and what do you do besides your title that, that Roby... Uh, so eloquently described. Um, I'm Bobo Kato. I, I guess I'm in charge of the food at Alewife. It's my main job. 
but mostly I like I took B to school. Well, actually, I got out of taking my son to school this morning. I feel like I'm taking B to school more than I'm cooking food sometimes now. But were, were we the excuse? Huh? Were I was excused. Excuse Allison, your- Allison bit the bullet and took him for me today. I haven't figured out carpool yet. Carpool was the thing growing up. What's the deal with carpool? You stay in line a long time at carpool, guys. But mostly I cook food and hang out at home. Can you listen to podcasts while you're in carpool? Because I feel like I'm going to circular this around and everybody should be in <laughs> carpool or listening to go so, on the podcast. <laughs> I have a list of things that I listen to. But yesterday, I might have embarrassed my wife when I picked him up. I think I was listening to Joy Division a little too loud. And Lee called me and I answered it. It was a rant about going to Restaurant Depot for something for a charity event. And I think everybody heard what we were talking about. <laughs> it was, it was, um, what do they say on Ted Lasso? It was flavorful language. <laughs> From Lee? No, no way. No, that's not possible. I hope but, you were strapped in because he probably could go for the entire carpool. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I'm at school. One second. But yeah. <laughs> One of the things we do on this podcast, Bo, is that we, we kind of trace our guests' history, their backstory from where they grew up and where they were born to how they got to Richmond and doing what they're doing now. So uh, why don't we just jump in real quick. Where exactly are you from? I'm from Northwest Mississippi, a small town named Sumner. There are 300 people in the town I grew up in. Um, I went to school in Clarksdale, Mississippi, which is a little bit bigger. People might know it if they're into blues music. It's evidently where Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads of 49 and 61. Um, I lived there until I was 18. Then I moved to Oxford and went to Ole Miss. I took five years to finish that experience. It was awesome. I met my wife there. Uh, while I was there, I started working in uh, like a pizza slash pasta Italian restaurant that was like a high volume type situation for it wasn't like just college students, but it was like the place you would casually take your parents if they came to visit. Um, I met my now wife, Allison, my senior year eight months maybe before she was going to go to graduate school in Savannah. And I had already planned to go to culinary school at the CIA at, um, in Napa Valley. The one that's pretty augmented by like William Sonoma family and Mandavi family and stuff. I'd been there. I'd looked at it. It was great. I decided to follow Allison to the stay on the East coast. And I went to culinary school in Charleston at the art Institute. And then the first week I was there, I met Sean Brock in an event and I started working at Husk the next week. I feel like I'm just rambling on, but I worked there for about two and a half years. And then Allison had finished graduate school in Savannah and came back. She had always wanted to move back to Richmond. So at the end of that, I put when she moved back, I put in like a four or five months notice with Travis at Husk. When I then, so I moved here, got settled in for a month and started working at Heritage. I worked at Heritage for Joe with Craig for about 18 months. And then Allison and I's wedding came around and we went, 
we were gone for two weeks for our wedding and then another two weeks for our honeymoon. We went to Italy. When I came back, it was seemingly a good time to like make a change. And from there we went to um, Joe and Lee were opening Heritage and I got along really well with Craig. So I was one of the opening sous chefs there. Southbound. Southbound. Yep. Sorry. And then Southbound, I was there for at least about three years. Um, a little longer than anticipated, honestly, because it took longer to open Elwife than I think Lee and I ever thought it would. But I guess the last 14 or so months I was at Southbound, I did a series of pop-ups called Break at um, at when Lee still owned the Roosevelt. So I did them out of the Roosevelt on Sunday nights. And I did maybe 14 of those and Catboy from the Veil did all the artwork for him. It was when he was first getting into like graphic design type work on his like computer. He has an actual name though. People call him Catboy. <laughs> yeah, he's Justin Anderson. Um, he's a good friend of mine. He just got married. Congratulations, Justin. But I still have all the stuff. It was great. It was like little cartoony fun things that we did. He actually did them again before the um, COVID pandemic. We were doing each of the chefs at Alewife was getting to do late night pop-ups and Justin was doing the art for those too. But that basically catches us up to where we are now from Southbound to pop-ups. Pop-ups turned into, they were successful the first three maybe. And Lee was like, hey, Mr. Kelman came by here and asked me if I wanted to look at this place, get in the car. So we drove down the street. And I think he showed me too soon because I got too excited and I was ready for it to open the next day. And it took about 18 months. But we're there now and just, um, what is today's date? The 17th. So 13 days ago, Elwife had been open for three years, which is it's incredible. Yeah, kind of insane. I think it's great. And you guys, let's see. Best new restaurant, best restaurant. GQ came through and said you guys were amazing there too. So you Alewife in the three years it's been opened has has had no shortage of some pretty major accolades but you're used to that I believe being that you were at Husk and Southbound which also had a um, restaurant accolade and Heritage which have had several what does that do to a restaurant when something like that comes out and what does that do to you as a chef um it certainly means something to me um personally because I didn't know it was a little like I was a little uncomfortable when I moved to Richmond. I didn't know what Richmond was. I didn't know what Richmond would be. And I'd come from Husk where we won everything. I think we got one bad review the whole time I was there. And it just, all it did was make Travis try harder. And we got, then we were in the paper more, you know? Um, but everywhere I've worked in Richmond seemingly is done. Like Joe has always had great press at heritage. We've Southbound, I think went like achieved more than we thought it would when it started. And then it took us so long to open Alewife. We were terrified. Like if we didn't start doing something and making some money, there was going to be a problem in the world. But I mean, I think, so we were in GQ first and then we were in Esquire and those were two things that were like very 
I think good for me and my mental state. Like the guy who was writing for Esquire at the time, Jeff Gordonier, was he had just written like kind of the definitive book on what happened at Noma, Mexico. Now it was also a book about like his life circumstances and how he was evolving as a person through divorce and stuff. But it he was the person who had given people like my mom an insight into what Noma was in the world and he valued my food. So that was a affirmation for me. But then we won Southern Living Best New Restaurant in the South. And that magazine came out on a Wednesday. And on that Sunday, we went to to go only. There was, I looked in the dining room. We seat at that time, we sat 56 people. I sent Leah a text. I was like, there's 112 people in here. And my next, like our dishwasher at the time was 60 years old and lived with his 80 year old mom. And I was like, we got to have a meeting on Sunday. I don't know. I don't want to be responsible for Cliff and his mom. If everything that people are saying is what is really happening right now. So best new restaurant in the South on Wednesday closed for six months on Sunday. We're talking about the, the COVID pandemic. I mean, we haven't yes, said sir. it, but that's what you're talking about. Yep. Right. We'll rerun real quick. The book of Jeff Gordon is called Hungry, if people want to read yep. that. And that is um, an insanely great book to read about Noma, Mexico. And it is very cool because you can see how your food specifically, Bo, would really appeal to Jeff and his tastes because of how intricate you are with your flavors and how he talks about that. So I just wanted to get that out there because it really is a nice little parallel. Now let's talk about Sunday's meeting when you guys decided to shut down. What type of attitude was there? Um, I mean, it was, I think we just wanted to do what was best for all of the people we worked with and ourselves. That being said, we thought we were going to close, like go to to go only for a month and then the world was coming back. I was doing to go until I think we opened for maybe a month or two in the summer that year and did like very limited, like half the seats in the dining room, still doing to go, still doing like we did so many things. We did like Taco Bell night. We did, I drew them all on Procreate on my, like all the little Instagram ads on Procreate on my iPad and it, it worked great. And I'll tell you, I don't live in Churchill, but I owe those people a lot because that neighborhood, like we would see the same people for every single thing. Like the, all the people that lived up there would come in every time. So they pulled us through what we're still going through now, but I think people feel better now. We're certainly, I do to go when I can now. We're busy and I appreciate that. Thank you people of Richmond do to go when he can yeah. <laughs> I love that <laughs> I want to ask you about your personal style when it comes to the kitchen you've obviously been you've worked in some highly acclaimed places and so there's no it's no uh no secret that you're very talented at what you do so how would you describe your food to someone who has never tried it before um I I don't, I had, I struggle doing this anytime anybody asks me. Um, I think my consideration is always flavor first. Like it has to taste good or nobody's going to care about it. Um, I like for it to look great too and be thoughtful. We, um, that was the thing that like, 
I remember Sean told me once that the thing, the most important thing he learned from Walter Bundy was writing the farmer's names on the produce in the walk-in. Because if you knew where it came from, you felt an obligation to preparing it right. There's now there's less farms here than there were in, like we bought from in Charleston, but like I don't have to write the name on all of them here because I know the people and I know what it is. But we there was a that was a struggle in the middle of COVID when it was like holy moly, my like sustainable seafood restaurant is serving cheeseburgers in styrofoam to goes. I felt like I had abandoned like everything, but like I would say that we're a flavor forward like. I like to think that we're vegetable focused, even though we're a seafood restaurant. Like I think the most like hard to attain skill in a kitchen is being able to cook vegetables well and make people want to eat them. And the secret to the food is that I've been so lucky to be around other people who can do it well and make me look good. Like that's, I've had a good run of people that work with me. So humble. <laughs> it's really interesting that you say that because I think that you look and we can see you at Alewife in the kitchen and we could see you at Southbound in the kitchen like like physically see you like I can sit down in most anywhere in the restaurant in Alewife and see you back there and it does a I don't know as I've ever seen and I watched a lot of chefs you don't ever look like you're particularly stressed and I have been in Alewife when it has been three deep at the bar and people waiting and you look like you're having a good time so like how does that happen like I'm sure you do get stressed but like where do you get your good attitude well I was gonna say if I'm, I'm a huge nerd Scott and I just watched Black Widow together at his brother's house but like if you in the first <laughs> Avengers movie Bruce Banner like he's like what's the secret like how like like he's the secrets i'm always angry the secret is i'm always stressed like you don't look like if you're always i'm like a duck like my face is normal but my feet are doing this under the water like um i don't know i think i think like having my real first restaurant job like and that's not fair to the places i worked in college but like the first serious restaurant job i had was at husk and it was an open kitchen and before Travis had his first kid, he was like, he would admit that he was an insane person. Like there was screaming and yelling and throwing and everything was crazy. And I was that person for maybe the first five, like from the time I was at Husk to maybe when I was at Heritage, I was, I don't know if I would have wanted to work for me. But then I remember watching Chef's Table and there's a, the episode with Dan Barber, who I do idolize, but he says that the reason one of the reasons he treats people like the language he uses, he says it's the language that he had learned, which is fair. But I kind of looked at myself at that moment. And I was like, just because like, this was how, like, this doesn't work for everybody. And if this is who I'm going to be, I'm probably not going to get the most out of anybody. So I've tried to stop being an insane person as much as I can, but that's, you know, it also like, you gotta you'll get more flies with honey if that's what it is or more bees i don't know what we're doing <laughs> bees we want bees yeah. <laughs> on the flip side of that so you mentioned how you relied on on your church shell neighbors to uh, kind of bring you guys through the covid pandemic 
but you also mentioned that your the restaurant has been you know, highly acclaimed in, in various national magazines. I'm guessing, uh, aside from your Churchill neighbors, there's probably part of your clientele that comes in that is expecting uh, you know, the, high, the best restaurant experience they've had. And obviously in the last year, that's been a difficult thing to do. My question for you is, as the guy back there in charge of the food and the experience, uh, and you're able to see over your whole dining room, what kind of experiences have you had in the last year when things have not been perfect for whatever reason, and you have to kind of be big bow and like step up and defend your restaurant and defend your coworkers and, and, and kind of like put your foot down. So here, another thing about Ale Wife is that we are, and I mean this in the best way possible, we're like recklessly casual. Like I want the food to be here, but I don't want anybody to feel like they need a white tablecloth cloth or a suit coat to come in there. Like it, to me, it's just a fun place to come with your friends or your family. Like it's still a family restaurant. We've had a couple of people this week ask if we have a kid's menu. We don't, but we hand make pasta in there. We hand make cavatelli every day and I will make anything I can for somebody to make them happy. I don't, the first six months we were open, I think Katie best probably was ready to kill me because I was like, this isn't exactly how I want it to be. This isn't exactly how I want it to be. This person didn't serve the food with their right hand. And I could see it all literally 10 feet away from me. I never stopped to consider that those, the people in the dining room were having a good time. Like they didn't care that they got their food with the right hand when they should have gotten it when the, with the left, like they were just happy to have the food and be in there. If you don't want it to be loud, I can't do anything for you. Sometimes people are like, it's too loud in here. I'm like, well, it's metal and wood. And we've hung several thousand dollars worth of noise dampening stuff in there. I don't know if it does anything. It looks kind of nice. Like Lee and Nicole picked a really nice thing when they put it up. I don't know if it does anything. Um, I'm ready to defend anybody in that place at any time. Like I've told them that was a big problem when we opened a few times during COVID. And some people just didn't want to follow the rules. And I was like, look, guys, don't let that stress you out. I'll tell somebody to leave if you think that what they're doing is not making you safe. But like, I never want anybody on the floor to feel like that's their responsibility. I'll be that person. I just want like, if the, I feel like the people at work are having fun, then the people who are there to eat are inherently going to have fun. Like, I don't know. I try to. For the most part, I don't have any problems with anybody. We all get along really good, It's which is crazy. We've hired almost an entirely new staff in the last eight months, but we all still really get along. So it's very, knock on wood, very fortunate to, like, I feel like I don't have many confrontations like that, Scott. Good. Well, that's good. Yeah. You hear so many nightmare stories right now in, uh, in restaurants about how people are, you know, this is the divisive nature. I'm really, really thrilled that Churchill, and I think it is definitely your, your neighborhood and you all that are, that bring the good into the alewife. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. So the last time I saw you, you were geeking out. This is a little insight into your personality. You were okay. geeking out <laughs> over this orange that you didn't get because you wanted to put it on a dessert menu do tell everybody what that was and then explain why that's something that you love wait what wait let's redo this one more time just so i'm sure what i'm talking about 
I geek out about something Finally. every six seconds. <laughs> I love, so you are very, very ingredient focused. Your right. Ale Wife is a sustainable um, restaurant with big focus on all sorts of locally grown or um, Was organic. this when you came or, in for the siren song and I had the poached orange? Yes, that's the one. Yep. Okay. So, yes, there, that's your... That's right now in my head because you're just, you just were so, I mean, there's no better word, like stupidly excited about this poached orange. And then I ate it and now I know why. So what was it? So I get New York Times email um, and, oh gosh, Gabrielle Hamilton from Prune is a constant contributor to their recipes. So that week or a long time previous to that, she had done a recipe and I had copied it down in my book. And I was like, how can I do this, but not copy her? Because let me tell you what, that lady became world famous for like, for making dishes that had three ingredients. Like tragically, I never got to eat there, but I've been to the gray and that's like, she was a big enough person that like Mashama Bailey is now a huge influence. And she took what Gabrielle gave her and then took it to Georgia and exploded it onto the world. Um, anyway, to say that she had a recipe for a poached orange and I was like, how can this be an alewife thing at some point? Because I was like, there's nothing cooler than just serving a, like we have the little pebble ice or whatever. I was like, we could just poach an orange and serve an orange as dessert and it would be awesome. So we had to wait till like right around winter time when all the winter citrus started and we started getting these really good car car oranges. And I was like, oh man, we're going to do it. We're doing the poached orange thing. So it was poached oranges szechuan sesame seeds and then just like burnt honey cream and i was like this that's a very rare thing but that was like the three ingredient thing i was like i did one like i would like everything to be the three ingredient thing but i also that was another piece of advice i got when i was a young cook was that anything you add to it if it doesn't make it better then it's making it worse (laughs) so like i try to fight through that a lot because which can be true. Like if you start distracting people with too many things, they won't taste the one orange that you really wanted them to taste. I want to leave Churchill for a second. I want to leave Richmond. I want to leave the Commonwealth of Virginia and let's head down South to Mississippi because I don't know a whole lot about Mississippi. Tell me what it's like to grow up in a small town in Mississippi. What did you eat? What was life like? I mean, you are, uh, you are not a, a shrieking violet. You are not a wallflower. You are a large personality. What's it like in a small town? Did you like Lunchables? How was high school? Did you have friends? <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever had a Lunchable. My dad packed my lunch every day. I never bought food in my like middle school, high school a single time, I don't think, because that was a waste of cash. At home, my mom would buy protein, but we had, at the time that I was in high school, we had six 16 by 16 foot gardens and she grew and cooked everything. Um, that's always been the funny story. Like everybody, like when I worked for Sean, the story was that like his mom and his grandmother after his dad passed away, like he was involved in all the food. When I had to fill out a questionnaire to help, um, Tim and Allie Skirvin do, uh, Tim Skirvin and Allie Croft do our like web design. And then Nicole wanted me to fill one for like press releases and stuff. It was like, how did you start cooking? And I was like, well, every time my mom's mom came to Sumner from Little Rock, we would, they would cook. And we had a, 
I mean, her husband had built the house that my parent, like my mom's dad built the house that my parents still live in, but there was a pass through in the kitchen and I wasn't allowed to cook. There was like, wasn't something that the boys did. So I would sit in the little eat-in kitchen, like the nook and watch them through the thing. And I just was mesmerized by, they made cream puffs every time. So they're in there making profiteroles. I'm like, how does that work? How's that work? What's that? Let me get in there. Let me do that. They're like, no, get out of here. You're in the way. So that was, that was how I came to cooking in a small town. And I love vegetables because I was forced to eat them because there, there might like, there was also like a two year stretch when my sister was in high school that we ate boneless skinless chicken breast with really good vegetables a lot. And I was like, well, I don't even want this boneless skinless chicken breast. So I'm going to eat like four helpings of mom's peas. Nice. But, um, I don't know. It's, there's not much you get into what would get you in a terrible amount of trouble in Richmond. Probably is just looked at the other way. When you live in a place with 300 people, I was reckless. I mean, you know, everybody, everybody knows you, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a lady, um, Pauline Jones was who kept me when my parents were like gone or anything. She had worked for with my, like my mom she basically her and a lady named Bessie basically raised me when my parents weren't around. And like her brother was the sheriff was the only police officer in like two towns. Cause we shared one sheriff, Sumner and Webb did. Um, my cousin was the mayor who like is my cousin, but is also like, I'm not sure how many cousins I have because my dad has a brother. My mom has a brother. Neither one of them has children. Like, and then they have like no sibling. Like, there's like my family is my like nuclear, like four person family. Like, I don't, but it's really funny. I did definitely know every single person in that town. So it, I was also like the open door kid. I would leave at my mom was like, get out of the house 9 a.m., ride my bike to the swimming pool, and I'd be back before dark because that was the rule. Then when I went to high school, I would just be gone for days. I was also the baby. <laughs> I had an older sister, so I could go and I could be like, yeah, football practice ran late. I'm just going to stay at Red's house. And I would stay at my buddy Red or Taylor's house. And I'd be like, gone for three days. Nobody but cared. I think they cared, but I, I never got in any visible trouble. I was visible? in trouble. I, yeah, I was in trouble. I just was, it was invisible trouble. So you, you mentioned that your first restaurant jobs were in college, or there was no inkling in high school that this was going to be your life, or was there? I had always enjoyed food. When I got to college, I thought I would be a lawyer. I, um, I have a history degree. I have a minor in business administration. Um, I did write, I always tell people, I wrote a 50-page essay for my, like, undergraduate I guess like thesis class you have to take but you didn't really get to pick your topic we drew out of a hat and I got the effect of religion on native cultures in California and the New England colonies you write 50 pages about that and nothing but there's nothing but tragedy there let me tell you that's the effect is bad stuff um <laughs> I was and I was like, man, I am never going to be able to write this much. And I'd been cooking the whole time. I think briefly in my freshman year when I started working in a restaurant, I was like, hey, can I just drop out of school and go to culinary school? 
and my mom was the was that you have to have a real degree before you can play chef and i think she felt that way a long time until like the second or third time they visited me in charleston they were like wow he's like he's actually doing this and travis was like you know he does a really good job like i'm super happy to have him my parents my mom was like oh this is actually like he can do this because he's doing it here and he's not just in the way you obviously remember that what was that feeling like for you seeing that validation from your folks oh it was great it was great because i i I don't know. I don't know. This is all going to get, this is all going to get in delve into some parts of me that I don't really talk about, but like I was the, probably the more athletic, I was the more, at least on books, intelligent of my sister and I, and she is wildly more successful, like job wise than I was until very recently. So it was like, and look at what Ellen did with Les. You're the, I was the, like the Muppet of the family, but now I'm, I think everybody likes me now. Plus, my son is adorable. Yes, I bought he is. so many points with an adorable son. <laughs> He's just a little toe-headed thing. He's got white hair just like I did when I was a baby. So everybody likes me now. I think they liked me before. Oh, that's so funny. So I have two questions. I'm gonna start with. So Sean Brock just looked at you at an event and said, Do you want to work for me? We were. It was Charleston Wine and Food. I moved there the first week of February, and Charleston Wine and Food's usually either the first or second weekend. Um, and I volunteered for it through school, through culinary school. And I was helping a guy who ran like a sushi restaurant in town. I can't even remember the name of it. It was whatever the Oak, like restaurant group, Jeremiah Bacon. Whatever that restaurant group's Macintosh, their sushi concept was, I was working for that chef and I had done everything he asked me to. And he was like, well, go walk around and eat something. And being just freshly out of Ole Miss, I was like, well, I'm going to go get that thing to eat. And then I'm going to that bar and I'm getting a drink and going stand behind this tent. And you get a drink and go stand behind the tent. And there's Travis and Sean having a drink, smoking a cig. And I was like, hey, man. I had to, I knew I had to interview a local chef for a class. Like I'd already been assigned that and I'd eaten at Husk with my mom when we went to find me an apartment, which was a, for another day. But I was like, Hey man, I really need to interview you for my school. And he was like, well, I don't really do that. And I was like, <laughs> well, like, dude, just let me do it. Like, like I'll have the best one in class. I promise. I was like, I already have a degree. It'll be well-written. He's like, I don't give a shit about that. I don't have time for it. And then he was, then he was like, here's the deal. And he gave me um, his assistant who's still his assistant today has moved to Nashville. Now gave me her number. And he was like, get in touch with this person. They'll keep me in the circle. And he was like, if I'm in town, I'll do it. But I must've, she she probably still hates me now like we're friends but like she probably like I must have left like 16 voicemails a day and then like one day I just get a call from her and she was like Sean will meet you tomorrow at noon at the bar at Husk please stop calling me <laughs> and like I got there and I'd done all the research I knew everything about him and I was like I sat down and he was like you want to drink and I was like no I'm cool I was like tell me about cooking the carrots in the carrot juice in the bag and then roasting them in like the carrot ashes and he was like 
all right, this will be fun. Let's have a drink. Do you want to work here? Because like the first six months that place was open, just massive turnover. Like it was too much. I don't think people knew that like literally none of the vegetables were going to come ready to work with. So like (laughs) people from like really nice restaurants in New York came and they were like, what do you mean? I got to shuck all the corn. And it was like, and it was like four bushels of corn on Thursday that we all just lined up and shucked in the parking lot. Like, (laughs) so there was a big turnover. I did a stage. I did a stage at McCready's um, with Jeremiah who now has um, Dabney in DC. And then I, I'd already taken the job at Husk though, because it was like the food that I thought I'd wanted to do. I was like, this is like my mom's food. If my mom hadn't learned to cook it from her mom, had learned to cook it from one of the better people in the country at doing it. Like, so yeah, I took it. I almost got fired a few times because I didn't know what I was doing. I was not a good enough cook to be there. Bless Travis and Justin Cherry's heart was for keeping me around because I was not good enough. The sous chef quit and had like a really weird party and gave us all the reasons that like we were a negative effect on him or something. And he was like, I really like you, Bobo, but we never should have hired you. Like the second week I was there. And I was like, sick. Great. Second week. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. But that guy does IT now, so. <laughs> but I don't know. I loved Charleston. It just was like, it's hard to live there on like a line cook's money. And it's, it's getting harder every day, I think, because now you can't park for free at the battery. <laughs> That's definitely a reason not a to live in Charleston. Yeah, I could park for free when I live there. So awesome. Okay, and then I have another question. You and Scott, he's going to hate me for this, are actually like friends outside of this podcast, right? Yeah, I like to think we're friends. I think he thinks we're friend adjacent through his brother, but we're friends, Scott. (laughs) I agree, 100%. Definitely friends. And you guys have some weird things that you do together like watch oh, that power sounds so good yeah well it's good i'm going down this road don't worry you can you can edit it out um like watch super people movies yep yep and eat a variety of potato chips from so many chips <laughs> okay what is this because this is a little like a little insight into both of your social lives, which I think would be really cool. So you guys bro out on Wednesdays with beer, but virtually, right? I'll let you I'll let you handle this one, Bo. Okay, so the the origin of the like me and Scott's brother Eric and Eric's business partner Scott, another Scott, Scott Marson, we used to drink beer every Monday morning at the place where they worked near the other Scott's house at like the beer store where they worked. We would go have like a little tasting every Monday morning because I started shopping there and I was like, wow, I really get along with these two people. It's it's like my wife thinks it's the most adorable thing. They couldn't remember the name of Alewife when we were opening it. So our group chat between the three of us is named Duckburg because they just started calling it DuckTales for a long time and I couldn't figure out why. So we named the group chat Duckburg. Um, But all I know about for certain with the chips is that those two dudes and I love chips. But 
Scott's brother, Eric, is plugged into the internet in a way that I don't understand. Like he's in the matrix of chips. Like he just can <laughs> read the ones and zeros and he'll be like, hey, dudes, I'm going to Food Line to pick up those pickled lime Doritos. Like if anybody wants a bag, like I know they're getting there today. I'm like, how do you know they're getting there today? But then, pal, guy shows up at movie night with three bags of pickled lime Doritos. There's such My a brother- thing as pickled lime Doritos? There's every kind of anything that if it's if it's out there, Eric will find it. You want a like a fried chicken BLT Lay's chip? <laughs> it's been there. I've had it. My brother is a man of many skills. He is he is much cooler than I. What can I say? Oh, I don't know about that, Scott. But I do I do like a guy that has the inside information on a chip. I've never He's thought I'd say that's an adult. <laughs> Of course he is. So wait, the four of you guys watched Black Widow and ate potato chips? And a uh, rocking night. Well, also snuck up on Scott, this Scott, Scott Wise, with I've, I prepare the food for these evenings. So of that course. night was chicken hearts and like a curry. But the next movie that's in discussion right now, P.S. Eric just got the wall repainted so that the short throw projector is going to look even better. Like movie night's really coming together over there. <laughs> but um, the next movie we're supposed to watch is Dune. And I've decided, I, was, I sent him a text the other day. I was like, do y'all think Scott would eat sandworms if I got a if I found a giant sandworm? To be? If you don't take a picture of that, that's Bo. I'm just going to have to make a cake or something. I'm going to be so upset because I'm really upset that we don't have chicken heart. <laughs> yes. I'm, I love this. You're teaching him all sorts of things. Are you done with this line of questioning, Roby? Or can we, oh, no, can we I, I love this? it. I love embarrassing you. This gets better and better. And Bo does not mind helping me. So <laughs> we can go, we can go down all of I'll these just places. answer the questions. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but between Bo's food, Eric's chips and Eric and the other Scott's beer selection. It's a, it's a fun night. But how do you get invited, Scott? Like that's the question. Because it's my brother's house. What do you mean? Oh, I like that's, okay, that's what I wanted. Yes. I'm family. I'm. You know, <laughs> that's the only reason why. There it is. Okay, yeah, no, no, it's, it's definitely good. not. You're actually fun to be around. At least that's what I hear. So it's not yes. True. Lies. Lies. <laughs> now I'm done. I'm done. Okay. Yeah, so, finished. In addition to the food and the chips and the. Marvel comic, Marvel Cinematic Universe, Bo's obsession, I think, is music because we, I've seen you at record stores before. I know you're a vinyl head. I want to talk about music a little bit. Rolling Stone just came out with its top 500 songs of all time. Oh, I'm not man. sure if you've had a chance to look at, you said horrible, is that you said? I was no, like, oh no. no. I was 300. Like, oh, oh. No, I said, oh no, I haven't, I haven't oh. seen the list and I feel like I'm about to get put on the spot. No, you're not. Well, sort of. I don't. I don't need you to go through the list. I want to hear your list. What is Bo listening to these days? What What are what, you? You go deep. I mean, you have some deep cuts. You You post them on your Instagram. The records that you buy, and I um, I use that as a guide personally, as a guide to things that I should check out. So let's 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 talk about that a little bit. I mean, I mostly listen to hip hop and like folk music. I think <laughs> I because I grew up reading a lot of like. I also am secretly like really into poetry. So uh, I think well, the three I like people lyrics. that are listening, it's not secret anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm like lyrically, I think that the like hip hop and folk music are the most like lyrically interesting to me. Um, 
yesterday during all the rain, I had to pick up everything in my basement because I was worried that there might be some water. So I um, ended up not being lucky. Um, but I like last night, me and the dogs listened to like the Waxahachie um, St. Cloud album. But it was great. I love her. Um, I don't how much know. vinyl do you own? How much vinyl do you have in your house? Entirely. How much, how much are, are you willing to admit to? How about that? Entirely too much. Give me a number. I know you I mean, know, you nerd. I mean, there's there's probably a couple hundred down there. Now it's not as many as you would think because I haven't been doing it for that long. Okay. I used to. I always have some hobby. I stopped collecting like a lot of comic books when I moved in with Allison. Cause I was like, nobody's going to want to live with a grown man who does this, but I still have some hidden, like some of my nicer ones. I sold a lot of them, but, um, and I still buy comics in hardcover so I can keep up. Cause I'm not, not a nerd. I just don't want to have a bag of things coming in every day. Um, then from there, it went to beer. I still have so much beer. I still love beer. I love wine. I have a lot of, like, I have several bottles of, like, vintage champagne down there that I just keep for, like, I'll open them someday, you know. But records is my new thing because I've always loved music. And I own, it's so funny. I bought, they bought, they had a copy at Deep Groove the other day. They had a copy of the Record Store Day from, like, I can't even remember, 2006 or something, Notorious B.I.G. Ready to Die. And it was the one that's on the white vinyl. And I was like, well, okay. I just sent Chad a message. I was like, hey, can I come get that later? Will you hold it? And he was like, yeah, you know, it's like X amount. And I was like, yeah, I know what it is. Just put it behind the I got there and I was like, you know, this is probably the 17th time I've bought this album. And he was like, I know. He was like, I feel like bad for you if I didn't know that you were probably going to buy it when I put the picture up. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I also just like, like, I think I like going to the comic book store because there were like like-minded people in there to talk to. And like the record store is the same way. It was funny. I saw, like I shopped at Deep Groove like a couple times a week for the entirety of the plague. And I'd never seen Chad's face till like recently. I'd never seen Jay's face. Like it's funny. And then, but then like Henry. Great dudes to, over there, man. Yeah. I'll go to plan nine. Cause like Henry works there, hip hop Henry. And like, he's, he's a good buddy. He's been in my house before with Jackie Flav. And then I go, I love vinyl conflict too. Cause I'm interested in like different kinds of music. Those are kind of my three stores though. So a lot of athletes will listen to a particular song before a game to get them psyched up to go out there and, and do their best. If, if you have a big dinner coming up, Bo, what are you throwing on the record player? What's, what's the song? What are you going to have in your, in, your, in, your, in your iPad, iPhone? What's the song that's going to get you over the edge there? Are you bringing your iPad with you? I got to ask this question. <laughs> what's in I'll tell your you, iPad? I'm, bring, I'm bringing it Sunday to work because Matt, um, Matt, my main man at work, Matt Bruska, is a huge Giants fan and I'm a huge Saints fan. So, and I have Lee's cable password on my iPad. So we're going to watch games during brunch. I know that. Um, I don't really, to answer your, your question, Scott, I don't really have a song that gets me like over the hump or anything. Like I just kind of, I zone it out until service starts and then I'll cut it up really loud and get into it kind of. Um, gotcha. But if you come in there and I'm listening to Whitney Houston, you can probably bet I'm in a shitty mood. Like, 
I love her more than anything in the world. And it's like sounds to sue the savage beast. <laughs> Whitney Houston. Okay, good to know. It's how will I know when I want to dance with somebody to get you just or down to with somebody? Yeah, oh that's God, my... so good. For the record, and we can move off, we can move off music in a second, but for the record, the top five Rolling Stone. Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit is five. Number four, Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone, which I think had been number one before the update. Number three, Sam Cooke's Change is Gonna Come. Number two, Public Enemy, Fight the Power. And, and one is one, Respect, Aretha yes. Franklin. You got it. You got it. So there you I go. may have read that. <laughs> I, do, I do own all those things on vinyl. Those are so, all things I have. And how much do you listen to them? All those five? Oh, I don't know. I listen to like some really obscure stuff a lot. Um, but I don't know. I, I definitely have listened to... I went and saw the um, the Respect movie on, on my TV, actually. But and then I listened to the Aretha because I wanted to compare. And Jennifer Hudson, you're great. You're wonderful. Nobody compares to Aretha. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you watch her on video doing that song, if you ever get the, I don't know if you've ever watched, I mean, I'm sure you've seen Aretha do it. It's almost as if she's floating like the effort to get those notes out i mean jennifer's great but she, it looks like she's working yeah it's just like i'm here man my so mom uh, rest in rest in power aretha franklin but my mom saw her a few different times and she kind of had the the roller coaster of weight sometimes and my mom said one time she wore a, like a white ball gown and it like had a big long trail on it and my mom was like, it was like an angel inside of a cloud. <laughs> she, was, she was like, she came out, she was like, I wanted to cry. She was like, she was so beautiful, but she was like, she was like, I've still never like understood how she made, like, that's why I like Whitney Houston too. Like, it's just a, like, no one sounds like that. I grew up like an hour from where B.B. King's from and the B.B. King Museum is there and the Grammy Museum's actually in the same town. But like nobody sounds like that on guitar either. Like a few of his albums, just because it's such a unique thing. Maybe that's what I like in music. I like uniqueness more than anything. I feel like that translates to your food as well. I think that a lot of stuff that's happening at Alewife is really, really unique to the Richmond area. So I just saw your new menu. Um, you guys just put out, I mean, I think it's new, or at least people are talking about your new menu. So I'm assuming that you have a new one. If I'm coming into Alewife right now, because you always have these fun little secret things that go on the siren song. If I'm coming in, what is my secret? What should, what should, what should I know about? What, what should I be eating? We actually have a few new things going on. We've been selling ribeye for a while and like, it's just starting to like, make me believe it's going to be fall even if it snuck up and got 95 on wednesday i think like go away 95 (laughs) but venison um will be going on the menu pretty soon i found a pretty good supplier and i want to try it um it's concord grape season and like some people think concord grapes are like the trashiest grape but i love them so much i think they're the best um so we have we're making like um a roasted pecan milk right now that's like the rich part of the oyster set so there's roasted pecan milk um like a concord grape skin gastrique and a fig leaf oil and fig leaf kind of takes on like a coconut 
taste almost when you blend it. So right now that's the oysters is you get like a weird coconut peanut butter and jelly oyster that's but it's more savory than it sounds and acidic. It's really good. I when I wrote it down, I didn't know if it would be good, but it turned out really good. Um we have a pavlova on the menu right now, but only for another minute. That is like nori sheets ground up in the sugar to make the meringue. And then inside of it's like dark chocolate, white chocolate, and a apple jam. And I just wrote apple jam on the menu because I wanted people to eat it. But that apple jam is like 30% three different kinds of seaweed. So it's like <laughs> an oddly savory <laughs> dessert. Yeah. I was like, I put nori on the pavlova. I don't have to tell everybody that there's wakame and hajiki and like other kinds of seaweed in the actual apple jelly. But we're changing that soon to Matt really wants to do a, we kind of always have a pavlova, but the new one's going to be like a, it's seemingly a play on like sweet potato casserole, but with um, row seven, Dan Barber seed, um, like Blue Hill Seed Company's. 898 squash that we're buying from a farm in Pennsylvania. They're like a, a tiny, like a honey nut, like a tiny butternut squash. And as soon as I can buy the honey nut squash from um, Sweet Greens out of Charlottesville, we'll be making it with that, but it's going to be like a squash cheesecake deal with like a dried squash pavlova. And I'm buying some chicory to grind on top of it because it's, It'll be too sweet without it. Plus, I love like New Orleans coffee. So awesome. Well, one last question. And I'm so excited that you are have taken the time to be with us today because Scott was just getting, he just was worried that you just didn't like him. So I'm glad that you showed up. <laughs> I'm sure I'll see him soon for Dune. It's right here on the corner. So being that you're in an open kitchen, and you have a hundred people coming in and out of there a night. Is it okay for someone to say hi to you while you're working? Oh yeah. People talk to us all the time. Yeah. Is, and like, you can kind of tell in the first like three minutes, I kind of will always talk to somebody. Um, but it's because I'm usually doing the least work. The other people are doing more work than me. That's another secret to being successful. Um, but we'll always talk to somebody and you'll know within like the first, like, Hey, how are y'all of whether or not we can talk for like a minute or we can talk for five, the response will indicate. <laughs> You're listening to eat it, Virginia with Scott wise, Roby Martin and Bo Cattell of Alewife. Don't even talk, Scott. I got to talk about this. I need to be part of this bromancy thing that you guys have going on. I can't, I, I, I need, I'm feeling left out over here. I think maybe you guys should just do a podcast. I totally, that's what I was going to say. You totally came off like the, like the jilted ex-lover, the way you were asking I those did. questions. Oh my God. <laughs> when you said, when you said, how do you get invited to that? Like, I wish people could see your voice when you said that, because there was like a little bit of, of hate in that. I don't know. It's not there, like you. There was hate in my heart. There was hate in my heart that you could just spend so much time with them. I know. I, know. Well, I mean, know. it's love, but it's hate. <laughs> I'm used to both of those. You know what I love? I'm going to see you this week. I'm going to see you in you person, are. in the flesh. So when was the last time you judged 21 chilies? I have never. I have judged chili before at the Puritan Cleaners... Uh, coats for kids, diamonds, 
homecoming diamond warming party. That was fun. We did that, yes. Yes. Yep. But never 20. I don't think they had 21. So I'm looking forward to doing They had four. Doing, they had four. <laughs> 21 is a big difference. Big difference. Um, not, not a, not a st- uh, um, uh, insult on the Puritan Cleaners chili cook-off. I'm just telling you that they had four delicious chilies. These are going to be 21 chilies. Do you think all 21 are going to be good, Scott? I hope so, because something, I don't want to eat a bad chili. They're, they're all, I bet you if we could find positives in all 21. How about, how about that? It's words to live by. I don't want to eat a bad chili. What, what do you look for in a chili? Oh, I guess we should back up a second. Roby and I are part of an all-star panel of judges judging the VizArt Chili Throwdown Friday night at the Visual Arts Center Richmond in the fan. So please come and check out the chili, the art, and um, check out Roby. Oh, God, don't check me out. But we do have a really good group of judges. We have the chef from Soul Food and the once podcast guest, Justin Lowe, hanging out with us. I also am going to see you again next Monday. Next Monday, we are interviewing. It's going to be a live podcast situation. It is a live podcast situation. Those are among my favorite. Maybe we should practice before we actually do this live and I can't edit it. (laughs) Oh no, I think that it's it's perfect live. It goes off without a hitch every time. Every time. So the dynamic duo of Scott and Roby will be interviewing the dynamic duo from Subrosa. So Evan and Evram are going to be on the uh, illustrious Baker and Baker over there at Subrosa. We're going to learn how to laminate croissants. And if folks want to see us in the flesh do this interview with... Uh, the brother and sister. They better get on it now because there's not a lot of tickets left. So, oh, really? So, the cost to see Scott and I is nothing, but there's only a couple seats left. And we're going to be at Bookbinders at 10 a.m. on Monday for Real Local. So, hit Real Local RVA on, I'd say, Instagram. They'll have a link. Do you think you and I get a cut of the, uh, of the door? Do you think we get like a, oh God, I, yeah, a percentage of ticket I've sales? Ever- yeah, I love half of nothing. I hope they give it to us. <laughs> Scott, if you were to pick a surprise podcast guest for me, who would you choose? Is this, are, we, are we limited to people in the food world or can we interview anybody? Well, for this podcast purposes, it has to be food. Do we have another podcast I don't know about? I was just, I was just making sure I understand the rules of this universe, which you're creating. The only universe in which you and I have a podcast. I think follow those rules. All right. I think, I think I know who I would choose. She owns a rest. She owned a restaurant in Farmville in the eighties and nineties. Oh gosh, why is it all it's come back to my mom? <laughs> Freud would have a field day. Oh God, seriously. <laughs> so we will get both our moms on. That'll be that'll be the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Eat It Virginia. Eat It Virginia. <laughs> this episode of Eat It Virginia. <laughs> no. Oh, God, no.